0: What a surprising passage to find uh, in the Bible! This—you you won't find any miracles in the Book of Ruth, but you will see God working in the lives of some very ordinary people in much more subtle ways. Uh, one of the big themes of Ruth is that God is working in our lives even when we can't see it. God had an amazing plan. For the main characters in this narrative. Uh, but as we read it, there are two key moments where we wonder if everything is going to work out well. But before we get into all that, we need to recap the story so far, because we've been looking at Ruth uh, for the last two weeks. So it's the time of the judges, which we know to have been a time of catastrophic moral failing for God's people, most of whom had turned away from God and were worshipping lifeless idols made of wood or stone. And the story begins with a man called Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons. They lived in Bethlehem, and when they experienced a famine, Elimelech decided to take his family to the nearby kingdom of Moab. Moab was a very dark and evil place. Uh, The Moabites worshipped the demon god Chemosh. They carried out human sacrifice and they engaged in debased sexual practices as part of their worship. We know that historically. Needless to say, God's people were not meant to be in Moab. Anyway, shortly after the move, Elimelech died. His two sons married Moabite women and about 10 years later, they died too. So now we've got three widows. Elimelech's wife, Naomi, and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And in the face of this tragedy, Naomi, the mother of this family, uh, resolves to return to Bethlehem, to her people and her God. Orpah chooses to return to her family in Moab, but Ruth decides that she's going to stay with her mother-in-law, Naomi. She leaves everything she knows behind her, And she embraces Naomi, Naomi's people, and most importantly, she embraces Naomi's God. She has some kind of conversion experience. Together, Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem, where Ruth attempts to provide for them through a a practice called gleaning, which was collecting the bits of um, the harvest that were left at the edge of the fields, or were supposed to be left at the edge of the fields for uh, the poor and the needy. And it just so happened, and where you see that phrase in this book, it's a sign of God's providence. It just so happened that Ruth found herself gleaning in the field belonging to a godly man called Boaz, who was struck by Ruth's loyalty and her dedication to her mother-in-law and also her work ethic. Uh, Boaz took Ruth under his wing. He looked after her, he protected her, He was generous towards her, not because of any ulterior motive, but just because he was a compassionate, generous, godly man. And it just so happened that Boaz was Ruth's guardian redeemer. Guardian redeemer. In Hebrew culture, if a man died leaving land, uh, a widow, children, then a close male relative would have the responsibility of buying the land uh, marrying the widow raising the children it was a way of keeping the land in the family and it made sure that the widow and her children if there were any weren't left destitute now looking at this through a modern lens we instinctively say that's terrible what if the widow didn't want to marry this bloke you know this is this is a, an awful thing to be happening But, you know, I reckon someone from that culture would have a thing or two to say about the way that we do relationships in 21st century Australia. Imagine if they had to sit through an episode of Love Island or Married at First Sight. They'd think we're nuts. So we have to take account of the the cultural differences. Anyway, we can see God's hand of providence on all this. God is working out his purposes. Remember, uh, Naomi uh, remembering that she's lost um, a husband and two sons. She was bitter, she was broken, she was angry with God, but now she begins to be more hopeful. She actually gets quite excited because she realizes, well, maybe Boaz is the means by which they can be lifted out of this desperate situation that they're in. However, the harvest will soon be over. Uh, Ruth won't be working in Boaz's field. They might not see each other, Um that would, uh, the, the opportunity would be lost. And that, that's Naomi thinking. You know, what happens when the harvest is over? How are we going to get these two together? So she gives Ruth some really dodgy advice. And this is the first point in the book where we think, oh no, it was all going so well. Why does she have to do this? Picture the scene the harvest is over. The uh, threshing They've been threshing the grain, which is like throwing it up in the air so that the husks or the chaff blows away in the wind and the heavier grain falls to the floor. So that's been done. They've got this huge pile of grain. they got something to show for all their work. Uh, payday has arrived. Uh, they have a meal and a few drinks to celebrate. It's a bit of a party celebrating the harvest. Verse 7 says, When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, He went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. And here's Naomi's advice. And if you're a parent and you don't see a problem with this advice, then maybe we need to talk. (laughs) This is what Naomi said to Ruth. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your nicest clothes, When Boaz lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And here's the really shocking bit. She says, he will tell you what to do. What parent in their right mind would encourage their daughter to do that? Not everything in the Bible is an example to follow. Uh, But one of the reasons that the Bible is so real and relevant and helpful is that it includes the messy, complicated details of people's lives. And this is why we relate to it, because our own lives are very often messy and complicated. Some commentators suggest that Naomi's advice demonstrates her complete trust in God. And whilst I take that on board, I think whichever way you cut it, this is not a good idea. Anyway, Ruth creeps up to Boaz in the middle of the night and she lies down at his feet. Boaz wakes up with a start. He says, who are you? Obviously, no electricity, no ambient light. It's pitch black. He doesn't know who this person is. And Ruth replies, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. This is tantamount to a marriage proposal. Ruth is basically saying, if you want to marry me, that's okay with me. Think about that for a moment. It's unusual for a woman to propose to a man now, let alone 3,000 years ago. This was a poor Moabite widow proposing to her wealthy Hebrew boss. This is a, a risky strategy. But Boaz is a man of integrity. We saw last week that he doesn't take advantage of the situation. In fact, he agrees to be Ruth's guardian redeemer. And then in verse 14, it says, so she lay at his feet until morning. So nothing happened. She lay at his feet, but got up before anyone could be recognized while it was still dark. And he, Boaz, said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. So not only does Boaz guard Ruth's purity, he also guards her reputation. So Naomi gave some pretty poor advice. And as the reader you think, oh no, this is going to go horribly wrong. What is Boaz going to think of Ruth after this? What if someone sees Ruth and her reputation is ruined? But it seems that God in his providence has taken account of Naomi's foolishness. Of course, this isn't a license to make foolish decisions in the knowledge that God will straighten everything out. If we think about the path that God has set before us, our bad choices can often lead to long and painful detours. So we don't have permission to willfully disobey God, but we do have the assurance that God can work around our mistakes. God can work around our mistakes. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and it's a relief to know that God's plan and purpose can be fulfilled in spite of my own stupidity and waywardness. So the first thing uh, that looks like it could derail God's plan is Naomi's dodgy advice. And as the reader, we're glad that everything is still on track. But now we're introduced to another potential problem. Boaz knows a man who is more closely related to Ruth's family than he is. So by rights, this other man should be given the opportunity to redeem Naomi and Ruth and a plot of land that had belonged to Elimelech. We've been studying this uh, love story for three weeks now, and we really want Ruth and Boaz to get married, don't we? But now we have a circumstance that is beyond anyone's control that threatens to ruin this happy ending that we've all been hoping for. And when this kind of thing happens in our own lives, we tend to want to try and take control, even if it means doing the wrong thing. Because we can find ourselves in a situation where it looks like doing the right thing will lead to the wrong outcome. We can find ourselves in a situation where it looks like doing the right thing will lead to the wrong outcome. A business owner struggling financially might fear that being completely honest with the taxman would push his business over the edge. A person who risks breaking up with their partner because they won't sleep with them before marriage. Disclosing a criminal record to a future employer. All of these things, they're examples of times when it looks like doing the right thing might lead to the wrong outcome, the outcome that we don't want. When I became a Christian, God brought me and my wife Tissa together and we, at an early stage in our relationship we were praying together and we felt God speak very clearly to us. I knew that I wasn't meant to pursue a career in the private security industry. My background was the Royal Marines, so this was a natural progression. Uh, I knew that I wasn't meant to go on a team, go out to Iraq and do do that job. And eventually God guided me uh, to a paid position in a church. And after a couple of years, he, uh, I I believe that uh, um, God gave me the call to ordain ministry. And then I started to worry. I started to worry. I thought, what if they find out about my checkered past. What if they find out about all the stuff that's gone in, gone on in my life before I became a Christian? I'll never get through this process. And it was very tempting to want to paper over the cracks, be economical with the truth, not tell everything that had gone on in my life. And when we prayed about it, I knew that I had to be very open and honest about everything in my past. And so I was. I laid it all out in front of them. And as you can see, uh, I still got through. It just took a lot longer. But God's timing is perfect, isn't it? Sometimes it's very tempting to think that doing the right thing will lead to the wrong outcome. And here we find Boaz in exactly that kind of situation. As it turns out, Boaz is not obligated to Ruth. But he is drawn towards her. He loves her. He respects her and he would gladly marry her. But there's someone standing in the way, a close relative who has a legal right as a guardian redeemer. Wouldn't it be easier for Boaz just to marry Ruth and pretend he doesn't know about this other man? Well, maybe, but it wouldn't be right, and it could easily backfire. So Boaz risks everything by doing the right thing. He seeks out this other relative and he makes him aware of the situation. As it turns out, this other guardian redeemer, um, by the way, he's not even given a name. The best translation that we have from the Hebrew is probably something like Mr. So-and-so or Mr. What's-His-Face. Um, he he is happy to purchase the land. But when he finds out that he'll also have to marry Ruth, he backs out. He doesn't want to know. Uh, Ruth is a Moabite a Moabite. Remember, the Moabites were despised. And if he were to have a child with her, then that child would stand to inherit his estate. He won't risk it. He won't risk his estate falling into the hands of a Moabite. You see, Mr. So-and-so was looking at this as an investor. He was looking at this as a business deal. Whereas Boaz was looking at this as a potential husband and father. And now that Mr. So-and-so has backed out, he's out of the picture, Boaz is free to marry Ruth. The book of Ruth opened with tragedy and death, and it closes with joy and birth. Chapter 4, verse 13 says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, and notice that bit comes after marriage, because there are some commentators that try and say a little bit more happened on the threshing floor, um... But this is this is very clear, and there's nothing in the, the uh the passage of the book that indicates that. But this is very clear. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. So not only are the fortunes of Naomi and Ruth reversed, but Ruth's son Obad Obed, sorry, was to become the grandfather of King David and a direct descendant of Jesus. And on this first day of Advent, we're looking forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus. So at this very dark time in Israel's history, when it looked like everyone in Israel had turned their backs on God, we get this glimmer of hope. God's purposes are being fulfilled through three very ordinary people, including a bitter elderly widow, a recently converted Moabite woman and a wealthy Hebrew landowner with a big heart. God worked in amongst the mess and muddle of their lives. He worked in and through their mistakes, and he worked in spite of the seemingly unfavorable circumstances. When we read this story, there's a point where we think, oh, Naomi is going to mess this up almost feels like she's trying to force God's hand when she gives Ruth that terrible advice. And then we think, oh, is a legal technicality going to prevent Ruth and Boaz from getting married? But even though God is not really mentioned in this whole book, by the end of it, we see that God was in control all along. Boaz and Ruth appear in the genealogy of Jesus. Their union was ordained by God before the beginning of time. God has a plan and a purpose for the whole of creation, and it cannot be derailed. And Sometimes we look at our own lives, we look at our mistakes and our brokenness, and we think, can God really do anything with this? Yes, he can, because God's will can be done in spite of our mistakes. Or we look at our situation, the obstacles ahead of us, and we think, do I really have to do this God's way? But the question ought to be, do I really want to do this my way and risk a long and painful detour, risk deviating from God's good, perfect and pleasing plan for my life? In a way, this story encourages us to look back on our past mistakes and see that God can work in our lives in spite of them. Encourages us to look forward to our potential future mistakes and hopefully not make them, and recognize that God is at work in amongst all of that. We also see that God is providentially working in our lives, even when we don't realize it, long before we realize it. Today we're baptizing Jared Peterson, and we know that God has a plan and a purpose for his life. It's no coincidence. That Mangus and Astralita got together. It's no coincidence that they came to Australia. And as you've heard from them, it's no coincidence that they came to this church. And it's no coincidence that they love the Lord and they want to have their son baptized. And it's no coincidence that you are the people promising to support them as they raise uh, Jared and Peyton in the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, often um, when we think of your plan and your purposes, we think of the, the, the big scale, the, the 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 whole thing. And this book of Ruth, Father, we thank you for it because it helps us to see that you focus in on people's lives, that you have a plan and a purpose for each individual, that you have a plan and a purpose for very ordinary people. A plan and a purpose that is wrapped up in your design for the whole of creation. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we, we pray today as we baptise Jared, that each one of us will realise that you are calling us to be a part of what you are doing in our world and what you are doing in our community. We pray, Father, that each one of us will answer that call, will respond to your love, and we'll live the life that you uh, would want us to live. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.